Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Men for the Win is sponsored by The Grand Group with Edina Realty. Are you looking to purchase a new home in the Twin Cities area? Or perhaps you're trying to sell your current home? Whether you're upsizing or downsizing, The Grand Group with Edina Realty will meet all of your housing needs. Contact The Grand Group by emailing thegrandgroup at edinarealty.com or call them by phone at 612-817-8751. The Grand Group with Edina Realty, three-time Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine Super Agent Award winners. On this episode, David and Dan discuss the Twins' three-game series against the Kansas City Royals. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win. My name is David Kufis. With me, as always, is Dan Thompson. The Twins managed to steal one win away from the mighty, mighty Royals. Terrible showing by your Minnesota Twins. Dan Thompson, the way that I look at this Twins season thus far, there are two losses on Duffy, like squarely on Duffy's shoulders. One loss is on Thielbar, and the rest of the losses, Dan Thompson, are on what was supposed to be this powerhouse offense, the, the Bomba Squad circa 2022. Where are the bats for this Minnesota Twins team? So Aaron Gleeman tweeted that this is the first time in Twins history, at least heading into the game here on Thursday, first time in Twins history they've had a batting average below the Mendoza line. That's 200 after 12 games. Yikes. I can see that from teams, you know, when we were kids, when they weren't very good in the 90s. But now when you got Correa, Buxton, Arise? Ugh. Last episode, Dan, you talked so much about how this team has so much potential. And like when those bats get going, like Correa was talking about, it's going to be fun. I want that time now, Dan, when they're losing games by minuscule run totals. I want those bats to be alive now. You know what? It's a long season, David. So let's see what happens. They're five and eight. They got a lot of baseball left to play. That's what they're saying. So I guess we can say that too. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, with that, Dan, let's, let's jump into the series recap. Series recap. David, game one for me was the was the really frustrating one. Um, you know, the Twins lose this game. They lose it four to three. They have two to one lead. They have a three to two lead. And then it falls apart in the sixth and they just can't get one run across the plate to tie the game. So this was frustrating. Archer goes on the mound. He's okay, right? He looks okay. He gets through four and a third, four hits, two runs. Both of them earned with three walks, five strikeouts, and a home run. Now, he leaves with the bases loaded and one out, and Rocco makes a brilliant move, calls in the guy who I said was going to have a phenomenal season. You did. Joe Smith, one pitch, Dan Thompson, gets a double play ball out of the inning. How about that? I got sick of watching double play balls in this series, David, because it felt like everybody was hitting into a ton of them. But the key one there, I was just frustrated with the lack of, again, the lack of production with runners in scoring position. They were three for 11, the Twins were, with nine left on base. And they were leaving guys, you know, Correa was leaving guys in scoring position. Kepler, Jeffers, who we're going to get to later, just could not string together any hits. And then no home runs either. They didn't hit a home run in this whole series. No, but the, the Royals hit two off Duffy. Which, you know what, Salvador Perez, my gosh, is he 50 years old now? Wait, what is he's he? old. He feels like he's been doing this to the Twins forever. We, we, we sometimes have this feeling about players, right? Like who, some of the players for the Guardians, I feel like, you know, they've been hit, getting hits against the Twins forever. But Salvador Perez is the godfather of just yes. punishing the Twins. I think it was Gladden on the broadcast today was talking about how, how what a large round of applause Perez gets every time he comes to the plate just because he's been there so long. There's some sort of honorary, like, you're old and we appreciate it sort of round of applause. Good on the Royals, but this is a team the Twins should be beating. 
Uh, they yes. can't afford to be losing to the Royals. We'll see what happens when they get to the White Sox series. We don't want to talk about that quite yet, but the White Sox have not exactly been a powerhouse team as of late, Dan Thompson. One other thing we should talk about from game one is in the third inning, when Tommy Watkins, I think, makes another bad send from, from third, if you want to go ahead and explain what happened. Yeah, so a, a couple of things here, just about third base coach in general, Dan. The third base coach is the person who needs to have the best understanding of when risk is appropriate and when it's inappropriate. And in the top of the third inning, Dan, Gary Sanchez leads off the inning with a double. So he's at second, get Ryan Jeffers at the plate, and he hits a single. And Tommy Watkins, Dan, we have said the name of the third base coach far more times than we should have at this point in this particular season. But he decides to send Sanchez home. And again, he has one job, risk assessment and understanding how long it's going to take a guy to get from third base to home and how long it's going to take the fielders to get the ball to home plate and does he understand that sanchez is not byron buxton like that's what i don't understand like the guys he's sending like these big lumbering guys home he has some sort of understanding of velocity and speed that like as soon as they get going they're like a freight train they're really going to keep going here but so this is what i don't understand so he sends them let me ask you would you rather have one out no runs and a runner on first or no outs and a runner and first and third with Luisa rise coming up next yeah i'd rather have that uh i'd rather <laughs> have Luis Arise in an RBI situation. In a scoreless it's, game, when you're on the road, you need to win. You have seemingly, and you, and at that point, they were coming off a, a game where they had actually gotten some runs and hits, right? So at that point, I'm thinking, okay, there's some momentum building here. And that totally killed the momentum of this game. I know that, you know, they scored a couple runs in the next couple innings to take a lead. But man, I wanted them to be up 5 nothing in this game. They should and, have been. And they easily could have been with just, I mean, at least you get one run there. Luis Arise is a good enough hitter. He's going to get Sanchez in. How many times have we seen this where a third base coach gets demoted, Dan, midseason? Does it happen all that often? I guess... I don't pay all that much attention to the coaching staff. I think Rocco would find a way uh, to, to make it happen in a very quiet and, and respectful way. So we'll see. Let's keep an eye on Tommy Watkins. We're just giving him a little time to recover. There you uh, go. You know, <laughs> let's go. Uh, let's go on to game two, which there's not a ton to say about here, David. The Twins lose this one two nothing. They have five hits and that's it. Five singles, David. Not even an extra base hit here couldn't get it done paddock is on the mound i think dan that this is a guy that we're going to see get better as the season progresses Mm -hmm. i made i made reference to that last time he was on the mound that the more time west johnson has with this kid the better he's going to be so he pitched five innings five hits two runs both of them earned if he pitched six innings i'm okay with the two two earned runs five innings two earned runs don't love it he had four strikeouts he looked okay but again this particular loss was not on the pitching so you had paddock thielbar and stashak which it was good to see stashak come out and and be effective here but if the pitching only allows two runs the offense needs to pick up the pitching well first of all you're not going to score many runs just hitting singles right i mean like you're going to have to get a couple extra base hits in there somewhere and they just they should have more runs than this dan i honestly don't know what to tell you and we're going to talk about this a little bit later but it is getting a little bit embarrassing the pitching that was supposed to be our weakness is turning out to be our strength and the offense just cannot get it going all right well let's look at game three because the offense got it kind of going uh in game three (laughs) the twins win they win game three one to nothing on the strength of a Miguel Sano sacrifice fly. That's Can all it took. Can you believe it, Dan? He finally got his offensive mojo going. <laughs> he moved the, the runner fly. along, right? He did the little things, which it, it seemed like the Twins were poised for a number of big innings. They they did have eight hits in this game. They just couldn't, again, string them together. But this was the weird thing to me, David. How do you have eight hits and you only go 0 for 1 with runners in scoring position? Like, isn't that it, weird? <laughs> It's pretty impressive, especially when we're used to seeing weird box scores. That's normally because the Twins scored all of their runs on home runs. Yeah. Right? But that's not, that's not the case in this particular outing. Joe Ryan goes six. 
He doesn't give up any runs. He has two hits. He has one walk, five strikeouts, another great outing for Joe Ryan. And then the bullpen takes care of the rest. And, and I wonder, is this the progression you think that we're going to see from the bullpen, Duran, Smith, and Pagan? I think so. Yes. I mean, once um, Alcala comes back, he probably mixes in as well. But as, as of right now, I think you're right that I think this is almost exactly how Rocco is going to draw it up and how he probably should draw it up. I do wonder where Duffy's going to fit and how this is going to go. But if those three guys can be a pretty solid back end, I, I don't actually feel that awful about the pitching. I don't know how you could, right? Like you had pointed out last episode about how, yeah, the bullpen has had its struggles. But as far as the starting pitching is concerned, they're some of the best in the league right now, Dan. It's pretty amazing. All right, well, let's go on to Puckett's Picks. We have a, a unique situation here with Puckett's Picks. Puckett's Picks winner. I'm sad about what happened, but it was fun to sort of figure out who won uh, via via the all the uh, the lore and the rule book we had to dig into, Dan Thompson. Well, so first of all, when I'm counting these up, I, I literally just had kind of one hand out and I was just lowering fingers and raising <laughs> fingers because there were so many pluses and minuses with, with the ground into double plays, with the strikeouts, with the singles. Like there was just not a lot of movement here. I ended up losing. Correa only had one point for me, but Polanco had two for you and Ursula had two for the listeners. And we had to go pretty deep into the Puckett's Picks tiebreakers here. So our first tiebreaker is most home runs but there were no home runs we had to go with least strikeouts and they each struck out i believe it was once the same number of times so david i actually because i was the neutral party here with with no horse in the race i had to come up with a third tiebreaker and i went with runners left on base and it was that david that gave ursula the win he only had two runners left on base polanco had five so the listeners get their second win of the season and david you are still shut out through four series <laughs> i i couldn't get any closer to winning dan you could not get no. any closer to winning. No, you didn't. And importantly, uh, you still haven't. So this is this is great <laughs> shut, <laughs> for my morale up, here Dan. early <laughs> on in the season. All right. So the next segment here, David, Beast versus Bench. Beast versus Bench. Is losing fun? Is losing fun. I don't love to pick pitchers for this. There is a principle behind it because they're only out there one time. And Did yet, you pick a pitcher last, last I, episode? I then? did. And, <laughs> and yet here I find myself, when the Twins only score four runs in a series, I don't know what else to do. So I went with Joe Ryan. I mean, the guy had another great start. He outdueled Zach Grinke. And there we go. So I picked him. I did find an offensive player to choose, Dan, this time around. And that is Nick Gordon. Oh, you, that you must have been hard it, for you to pick Nick Gordon. It was a little bit. Like, I, I've been a little bit hard on Gordon. Not really, though. Like, I just feel like he's not necessarily an everyday player. And I don't love him in center field. So it's less about me sort of, like, picking on Nick Gordon and more just confused why Celestino isn't starting. Not because, like, Gordon is a bad player, but he's not a natural center fielder. And because the offensive ceiling is pretty low i don't know how often he should be starting in center field over celestino uh, but he went one for two in game one uh, and then in game two he came in just as a defensive replacement but then in game three this is what i thought was most important here he went two for three um only one guy left on base i think it's one of those things dan where because he's not necessarily that everyday player, just the fact that he stuck out this strongly to me in this series made me think that he's deserving of the moniker this time around. As for Bench, David, you know, we both went with Ryan Jeffers here. He was one for 10, three strikeouts in the series. Still not that catching, hitting force that we hoped he would be. Just going to leave it at that. And uh, let's move forward into the next segment. 
Rocco's Rewind. Rocco's Rewind, Dan Thompson. I like what you have here. Tell me a little bit more about what you have for Rocco. So, again, I'm conflicted here. So, it was obviously nice to see Byron Buxton DHing. He DHed in game three after missing, I believe it was four games in a row. Uh, sorry, five games in a row uh, after missing the last three in Boston and the first two against Kansas City. Great to see there. But here's here's the deal. I know that this is the right choice in this moment to have him come back in DH. There was an article, I think it was on Twins Daily, that was talking about whether the Twins should be DHing Buxton more, giving him more regular DHing. And I, I don't want to see that. And here's why. Because Byron Buxton's real quality is the whole package, right? Like a limited Byron Buxton DHing. And I also have trouble like thinking, that guy's competitive fire is so great. I can't imagine he wants to just be sitting there DHing. But I also want him to be healthy. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I don't mind it sort of bringing him back sort of piece by piece. And like, I'd rather have his bat in the lineup than say like he's not doing anything, obviously. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I do not want to see him DHing unless he absolutely has to. And if that's the only way he can get in the game, sure. But yeah, you want to see him on the field. And he does seem like a guy who sort of feeds on that defensive energy. He brings that to his offensive side as well. Well, and you know, he had a hit in the game. And anytime Byron Buxton is able to get on the base pass, you just feel a little bit better about the Twins' chances to score a run. And you feel better about Tommy Watkins sending him from any base. Uh, <laughs> yes. to, to First home. to home. Doesn't even hit second or third. Watkins won't worry about it, I'm sure. What's uh, what's yours? I really liked him going to Smith in game one uh, when it was a super high leverage situation. Honestly, the most stressful situation you can bring a guy in, in right? Mm -hmm. He's got bases loaded and one out and Smith comes in and gets it done. So you go with a guy who has literally seen it all, Dan. He, he has played in a million games as a reliever in the Major League <laughs> Baseball. And so I think that this was a very wise move. How fun is it to come in that high-pressure situation and get it done right away? Like, he wasted no time at all making quick work of that Royals lineup. It is nice to have a veteran come in and actually provide that veteran presence to the bullpen because that's exactly what they need. They need a guy who's calm and cool in those situations. Sort of as, as the part that I hated after I loved him going to Smith, I hated him going to Duffy, but it's super hard to criticize him because mm -hmm. who else is he supposed to go to and honestly in this series they didn't really overwork the bullpen the, the starters gave him enough innings I think it's weird, though, David, that we have had so little criticism of Rocco in a season where they're five and eight. You know, yeah, like you, you'd think there'd be more going wrong. I just think it, it's not Rocco's fault. Well, I mean, what's he? I mean, outside of batting four guys, I don't know what else he can do. If your offense isn't scoring runs and your defense is keeping your team in the game, how much can you do as a manager other than replacing the third base coach at this point? <laughs> that would be the biggest move I think that Rocco could make right now. He should, though. But I want to know, like, how much? How many more bad calls will it take before Watkins is like? Like, yeah. Remember when this happened a couple of seasons ago when Diaz was at third base mm -hmm. and he made some terrible calls? And like what I hated is he got kind of attacked on Twitter and then he responded, I'm still going to send them every time. That is the worst mindset of a third base coach <laughs> I've ever heard. I'm still going to send them every time. I'm so, this is your job. This is your one job is to hit grounders to guys when they're warming up before the game and to figure out when you should send guys and not to. Your response should not be, I send them every time. I just hit the button. He's a toddler, Dan. He's a toddler who found a machine that gives him a candy bar every time he hits a button. And he's like, I'm going to send them every time. What are you talking about? So they're like, oh, we'll get Watkins out there. He'll be great. He has, he has less of an understanding than Diaz does, and that's saying something, Dan. My goodness. Fans want an ejection. There he goes. And that was Gardy's gripe.
You know, David, you're, you were kind of like a volcano there, just kind of waiting. You, you kind of steamed <laughs> I, a little bit earlier, and then there you go, kablooey. We should not be talking about a third base coach as much as we're talking about him, Dan. That's what's so <laughs> frustrating about this. He's not even a player. He's not even a player, Dan. He stands on the side. He's not in the lines. He's not in the foul lines, Dan. He's outside of those. And we're talking about him more than we're talking about other players. Driving Ooh, me nuts. I thought you were done. All right, well, you started me going again. You always get me going, and then you keep me going, Dan. <laughs> All right, let's go to Minnesota Moment. Minnesota Moment. Can you go first? I got to calm down. <laughs> I will go first here. So Chris Paddock said a funny thing. So Chris Paddock, to remind people, is very new to this Twins lineup. I don't even know, if, does he even have a place to live in the Twin Cities yet? Um, Probably not. He was traded on opening day, and he's quoted in the Star Tribune by saying to the to his teammates... Wednesday night in his start. Hey, boys, I need your help here. Like, <laughs> talking to his teammates, his his much ballyhooed teammates. And first of all, I love it. Um, but second, like, doesn't this break kind of like a rule that you don't do in baseball? Like, you don't tell the batters anything if you're the starting pitcher in the way that you don't, they don't want, you know, starting pitchers don't want hitters interfering there. I just, but I loved it because it was what every Minnesota Twins fan is saying. And Chris Paddock, the new guy, is like, <laughs> I'm, look, I'm looking around, I got... I got Carlos Correa, I got Byron Buxton, I got Luis Arise, I got all these guys, and you guys can't give me more than zero runs here? Come on. I mean, do you think he's sort of longingly looking at the Padres lineup and the runs they're putting up? A quick Taylor Rogers check-in, in case you were wondering. Uh, since our last episode, he did add another save. Still only one hit given up in his five save opportunities, of which he's saved all five games. However, Dan, big moment, he gave up a walk. Oh, that was my moment. What about you? It's funny that your moment last episode and this episode were both about what Twins players have said not on the baseball field. Well, they're comments. not doing anything on the baseball field, David, <laughs> so I feel like I have to do something they're talking about afterward. Um, so I'm going to go with Sano's sack fly, I guess. <laughs> a sacrifice fly is like, your moment? What, what else? Do you do? Like, like a sack fly is a Minnesota moment. makes a lot of sense if it's a walk-off sack fly in the bottom of the ninth. <laughs> but like Sano hitting a sack fly early against the Royals is my Minnesota moment. That should tell you how great this series was, Dan. I just don't know how it can get any better. Mauer's Musings. Let's just take a moment here to ask a question about Miguel Sano. And I'm, I feel like I'm teeing up a batting practice 50 mile an hour, underhand, whatever it is to you, David. So here you go. What's the problem with Miguel Sano right now? I don't know, Dan. He's in the best shape of his life. <laughs> he is. But clearly, that's not doing as much as I hoped it would. He's still 40 home runs off of my predicted <laughs> total. Off, off the pace. <laughs> He's a little off the pace. Up, He's going to have to pick it up here. So so I'm wondering, like, is he is he swinging wrong? Like, is he... I don't know what's going on here because I had such high hopes for Miguel Sano and he's struggling. He's clearly struggling right now. I think he's hitting about 0.93 right now is his average. <laughs> no, but it should be said he is showing more patience at the plate. And like everybody who's sort of the Homer Twins fan at this point is saying, well, Sano is a very streaky player. It's like, yeah, they're streaky. I'm curious, Dan, how long can a streak be before you say the player is bad? Like, is there is there a time frame before you're like, it's not just he's streaky. Like, Dan, I could say. I'm really streaky at professional tennis. I have yet, Dan, to win any games of professional tennis, but I'm just a really streaky 
professional tennis player, Dan. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, you're a great cook, David. You just haven't quite moved past mac and cheese, right? Is that no, kind of yes. what you're doing? Yes. I, I, I hope... am a chef who only cooks at home. <laughs> so... I do think I do think Miguel Sano is going to break out, but this feels like last season where like, we were just waiting for him to crawl past the 200 mark. And he still has to crawl past the 100 mark. So I have high hopes for this White Sox series. I'm, the Mendoza line is 200. What, what's, what, is the Sano the It might be line? the Sano line. It might be the Sano line. Anyway, what about you, sir? What's your musing? Okay, so to sort of piggyback off this, because Sano is not the only one who has been struggling on this team, Dan, including the highest paid infielder in Major League Baseball, Carlos Correa, has had some issues as well. Here's my big question, Dan. When the offense picks up, which I am convinced it will, and I think you are as well. Mm-hmm, like, yeah. I can't imagine this is this is the actual offense that the Twins have to work with this season. Realistically, how much better do you think this offense can and will be? Um, I think this is a top 10 offense still by the end of the season because, and, and I will say with the caveat that Buxton's got to play. We, we've seen year in and year out, and we see this with other teams. I was trying to find the numbers. You know, the Angels are not great without Mike Trout, for example. And I know that you've teased me for this comparison in the past, but I do think that Byron Buxton is to the Twins what Mike Trout is to the Angels. They just don't go without him. So... I do think it's top 10 with Buxton. You're still chuckling. You you go ahead. Go ahead, Vesuvius. Because all I can think of in my mind is like, yeah, he's just like he's just like Trout to the Angels in that they can't win in the postseason. Well, but there's that too. I mean, Trout, the Angels have barely been to the postseason with Trout. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I just made your point again. All right. Yes, fair you point. Thank you, Dan. Um, I love you... it when you I love that when you try and counter me and then add, add some emphasis and evidence to my point. What do you think, sir? I think when we look back at this sort of slow start, I think that if the pitching staff continues to play as well as they've played and keeps opposing teams under five runs, the Twins will win more games than they lose come the All-Star break. I hope so. Let's get to series grades here. Series grades. Again, Dan, I feel like we're just too close. We can't even argue. I mean, we can argue about other things. This should be no higher than a D. I gave them a D minus because you're playing the Royals. It's the easiest series that you're going to play in the month of April. You need to at least win the series. I went into this series thinking that they should sweep it, and then they're in a really good spot going in against the White Sox, who are struggling now. But that's just not the case. It's a D minus for me. You did the bare minimum. You maybe passed the series in some weird way. But just barely, Dan, it was some through guessing, more or less, they were able to get through the series with a D minus. Yeah, I went with a D just because of the the great signs in the starting pitching. Because again, a road series where you hold the team to six runs, it's hard to say that everything fell off, that every wheel fell off the wagon there. I think a D is okay. And because Buxton didn't play the first two games, I'm going to say it wasn't a total, it wasn't quite the D minus but again we're splitting hairs here here's my question you put so much emphasis on Buxton being on the field and I, I don't think that it's that it's wrong to think that way but I do think sometimes you overemphasize his importance to the team if if he does go down for a considerable amount of time let's say let's say he goes down for four series do you think it's possible this team without Byron Buxton could win four series in a row no I don't think so. It's just not possible. No, and and here's why. Because we so often, we didn't, this series, I think this is an anomaly. I didn't point to any moments in the series where I thought, you know, Buxton would have caught that ball. But we did immediately in the Boston series after he went down in game one. We said, oh, there's a play that Buxton would have made. And I think over the course of four series, he's going to make a, not maybe not a handful, but a couple plays that really do save runs. And you pair that with his bat and his base running. That's a game changing player right there when he's in both sides of the field. Fair enough. Well, let's keep pushing here, Dan Herbie's headline. I don't know, Jack. It looked like Herbeck pulled him off the bag. Herbie's headlines. 
You know, David, one of my favorite things in baseball is the 3,000th hit. Isn't this exciting yeah. for you? And so Miguel Cabrera is on the cusp. He's at 2,999, and he's going to probably do it. He's got a series at home against the Rockies with the Tigers here over the next three. Hoping he does it at home. So exciting. I hope that I get to watch that one because it's going to be a while before another player does it. Who's the next closest who's active? So I think the next active one who has the best shot is Jose Altuve. He's at 1,783. He's 32. So I, I think he could do it. But this isn't, I mean, that's many seasons away. We're probably, what, at least five seasons from Altuve yeah, reaching it? And if he reached it at five, I mean, that would be, then we're talking, he could be a top 10 all time. I actually flipped on the game the other night when he was at 2,999 thinking he's going to get his hit. And the thing is, it would have been really exciting. He didn't even get the opportunity. But had he gotten the opportunity, it would have been a either a game-winning hit, likely, or at least a game-tying hit. So it would have been really cool if that was the opportunity. Um, but unfortunately, he uh, he didn't get the chance. His teammates kind of let him down there. Do you remember when Dave Winfield got his hit, David? Uh, no, not too well. You don't? Actually, okay. Well, so the reason I, no. make, I mentioned this is that you know two of these guys in the top 25 are twins, right? Dave Winfield and then also... Paul Molitor. Now, they weren't twins their entire career, but they, I believe, both got their 3,000th hit as a twin. And that's pretty cool. Uh, pretty cool company. I don't know. Who do you think is the next twins player who has the best chance? We're talking who's the next twins player who might be a Hall of Famer, I feel like is the question that we're asking. And I don't think it's an active player on this roster now that would have a chance. We've talked about how Luis Arise would be the guy who could have a long enough career to do it, but... That guy's got to play into a little better defense, I think, in order to in order to make it that far. So career, he's got 281 <laughs> hits, Dan. He's got a ways to go, and he's and he, and he is uh, 25 years old. All right, well, maybe so I'm not going to hold my breath about played, that anymore. My my math, Dan. If I do some quick math here, <laughs> I don't know that Luis Arise is going to be the next guy to hit 3,000 hits. Dang it! I was really hoping it'd be him. All right, well, it'll be some other guy coming up that's in the twin system. But, I mean, Bernie Mac did it, right? <laughs> and I well, mean, he even had to come out of retirement, Dan. <laughs> you better say more. What is that? What are you talking about? Mr. 3000. Come on. The guy who built his whole post-baseball career on being the guy who hit 3,000 hits. Then he had to go back into the majors to get those three more hits to, to get him back to 3,000 because it was a clerical error. Because, you know, in baseball, there's a lot of clerical errors that happen. But, anyway, on that note... If you didn't see it, you should check out Ichiro Suzuki's first pitch for the Mariners that he threw out. And he threw a 94-mile-an-hour fastball from from the pitching mound, which is pretty what? impressive for a first pitch. Ichiro, he's he's 40-something years old. He threw a 90-something-mile-an-hour fastball? Look it up. It was like 93.7 oh miles an hour or something. More reasons to love Ichiro. Yeah, anyway, so him and Bernie Mac. I'm just saying each row could come out of come out of retirement. The hashtags we're gonna have to add to this episode, David. <laughs> yeah. uh, with all the name dropping we're doing here. I, I think I think Bernie Mac should be number one on that <laughs> list. Yeah. All right, can we move on, please? This is a long segment. Let's go to Puckett's Picks. And we'll see you tomorrow Puckett's Picks. So what I'm saying, though, is it looks like Suzuki has 3,000, let's see here, 3,089 hits. So if there was a clerical error where he was actually 90, 90 hits short, I think I think that Ichiro could come back into the league, Dan. David, let's move on. We're on the next segment. What are you talking about? Let's go. Anyway, Puckett's Picks, tell us what's happening. <laughs> Sorry. So Puckett's Picks here, um, going into the White Sox series, so... I get to choose third because I came in second, even though I should have technically won, but there's these new weird tiebreak rules that Dan decided to implement to rob me of victory. But the listeners have taken Buxton for the White Sox series. I think they think that he's either going to be healthy or at least he's going to DH there, Dan. So you get the next pick through some, 
I'm still not exactly sure, but I got definitely the short end of the stick here, Dan. Gosh, you know, this is hard because they've all been so poor. You know, my heart wants to go one direction, um, but I think I got to go with Polanco. I, I just go think with Sano. Go I was going to, but I'm going to go with Polanco. I, I think Polanco is going to come home and have a pretty good and good series against the team that he knows well. Do you remember the time he hit a home run against the White Sox from one side <laughs> of the plate yes. and then the next yes, side Dan. of the plate in the, in the yeah. doubleheader? So Polanco, that's why I, I got to go with Polanco. I'm going to go with my guy, Dan. Nick Gordon, baby. Nick <laughs> Gordon. Oh, oh man. Nick Gordon is going to win me this Puckett's Picks round, Dan, because I don't know who else to pick. I'm going to go with the guy who I am convinced shouldn't necessarily be an everyday starter, but is finding himself in that situation. Nick Gordon for the Puckett's Pick victory, Dan. I am feeling it. This feels like a Jake Cave moment here, like the time you picked Jake Cave. Well, we'll see. I, maybe we haven't seen the last of Jake Cave. I'd say we see him on this team by the end of the year, the way this is going, Dan. Oh, September right. call-ups. Let's give him one more shot. So um, it's my wife's birthday on oh. Sunday, so I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the day off for her, and Hogs is gonna get to fill in, and uh, I'm excited to hear what he has to say about this series on Sunday. Thanks in advance to Hogs. I'm looking forward to it. We will uh, we will miss you. Thanks, man. How about you send us out here? Yeah, we'll do. Uh, happy birthday, Annie. By the Thank way. Thank you. I'll pass that along. Well, folks, if you like what you hear, please tell a friend. You can follow us on Twitter at Min for the Win and find our Min for the Win Facebook page. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to be notified when new episodes are available. And if you could leave us a rating, that'd be great. A reminder that episodes are now available on our YouTube channel. And if you could drop us a like and a subscribe, we'd greatly appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And as always, go Twins. That'll wrap up another episode of Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Thanks so much for listening, and as always, go Twins!